Today's message is called Hearts Matter. And uh, I'm going to explain myself over the course of the next few minutes. And, uh, but our, our goal today is to understand that hearts matter to God. And you see, it becomes, becomes even more important when we think of the heart of a servant leader. Now, what's interesting is I actually took some time this week to uh, YouTube uh, servant leader. I YouTube those words, and you would not believe the amount of videos that come up from uh, companies around the world that talk about servant leadership in their companies. I thought that was really interesting. But the truth is, when it comes to the church, I think it's even more important, it's even more of a, a, a point that we need to take note of, that our hearts matter. Our hearts matter in ministry when we're ministering to God and to other people. Our hearts matter in our homes, uh, how we treat our kids and our family, that matters. Our hearts matter how we treat people in our community, how we interact with people. Every part of our life, everything that we do, our hearts matter. Our hearts matter. So let me just jump in here. And today we're going to be mainly focusing uh, not on the relationship, but on the, the two stories, one in particular of King Saul in the book of First Samuel, and then on uh, King David who came after King Saul. And the, uh, it's funny, I, I don't think I've actually shared with you guys uh, from the books of Samuel since I uh, came to our church here in the new year. But this is, uh, the books of Samuel are some of my favorite writings in scripture. They're so important. And so we're going to jump into them today. Uh, today's message is a standalone message, but uh, this fall, I'm really going to be unpacking this whole thought of character and what it like, what it's like to be of Christ-like character in our world. So we're going to be jumping into it in the coming months. But first, uh, today we're just going to do a one-off message on, uh, and it's called Hearts Matter. You see, some people are excellent at sharing their testimony. Raise your hand if you ever met someone that's good at sharing their testimony. Anyone? Okay, just me and a few others. Okay, that's good. Uh, some of us, however, we have a bit more difficulty uh, sharing our testimony. So here's a little story. Now, here's I won't trick you guys because that's unfair, but when I first became a youth pastor, I was so frustrated. I'm just going to I remember I couldn't tell anyone this years ago, so now I can. But I was so frustrated with the teenagers in my youth group. I just wanted to like like do things to them, like to maybe annoy them or to make them like tick them off a little bit. I don't know. It was just, it was just frustrating. It was, I think it was like passive aggressive tendencies. I'm not sure, but they drove me nutty. They just were crazy. So one, one night I came in, I was preaching in our youth service and uh, they, they were driving me crazy. And so I started telling stories and they were absolute lies, but they actually believed what I was saying. And I was talking about my own life. So here's one of the stories I told them, and it's funny how some people, when they share a testimony, can really draw you in. So here's a story. It is not true, all right? It's not true. It's, it goes like this. When I was a teenager, I found myself in bad places, always unable to control my emotions, and didn't allow the Lord to speak to me. Even though I knew his voice, I let things around me become louder than his voice in my spirit. One night I woke up in a bush after a party and had an honest moment of asking God what I was doing with my life. From that day, I've tried to make right decisions for my life on a daily basis. Now, here's the truth. That is someone's testimony. It actually it could be someone's testimony, but it's not my testimony, even close. But the truth is that some people have these stories, and they have a way of telling stories. And it's so interesting. It's so, when we, when we hear them, we think, wow, why can't my life be interesting like that? Why can't, uh, my te why isn't my testimony like that? But here's the truth. What matters the most for any kind of testimony is just simply God's Spirit working through us. 
That's what matters most in any testimony. You see, this fall we're going to take some time to talk about our character as Christians. Uh, what should we be known for? Uh, the Bible warns us against gossip, quarreling, jealousy, envy, pride, and the list goes on. And you see, one little thing I've noticed is that gossip is much more prevalent in a smaller community like ours. I find it interesting. It's because a world travels faster to everyone. Word, word travels faster. That's what happens. So what, does, uh, so what does that look like for us? How do we stop what's happening around us? How do we change the narrative in our lives? You see, the Bible says, I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I think I've said it every week in the last month, but it's the truth. You see, after spending time uh, this summer learning about who Christ says we are, we need to tangibly put that into practice for every day, in every day of our life, day to day. Hold on. i got to open this or else I'm going to spill it on the mic. I'm going to electrocute myself. I'm going to dump it. Sorry. See, it's harder than you think. Okay. All right, there we go. If my voice sounds like I'm yelling at you, it, I'm not. I'm just, it's, it's a little shot from singing. Okay. So has any, <coughs> excuse me, man, I'm dying here quick. Okay. I got a question for you. Has anyone had someone be petty to them? Has anyone ha ever had anyone be petty to them? Oh, man, how high can my hand go? All right. All right, it's happened. Have you ever been around someone and you just feel like smacking them on the head and saying, grow up like have you ever felt like that no one okay just me all right it was just that's just my thought all right we'll leave it at that you see i'm sure see some of you you just didn't want to tell it all right it's the person in front of me okay i'm sure we've all felt uh that way one at one point or another in our life so in the coming weeks and months we'll be uh focusing on some of these characteristics and learning what it means for our lives to be more christ-like part of that is this our hearts matter. Your heart matters. How your heart is matters to me. It matters to your family. It matters to your community. So today we'll be looking at uh, the life of King Saul just a little bit. What happened during his reign before God chose David to lead Israel. Uh, I don't plan on un uncovering everything in the account of what happened with Saul, but I want to focus on how God gave him everything, yet because of his heart. God gave Saul everything, but because of his heart, God changed his plans and used what the world couldn't understand. All right? He chose David. God chose David to lead his nation, Israel, because of his heart after God. That was the difference. It was just his heart. All right? So let's, uh, uh, first we're going to go to scripture here, and I just want to read this this morning. Uh, it's from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 28. It says this. Actually, you know what? We're going to read it. Could you stand with me? I want to start something this fall. Stand with me. One of my old pastors does this, and it's the right thing to do. So when we read in Scripture, I want us to stand. Just We'll just stand for the first one I read, not for all of them. Otherwise, we'll be up and down all day. All right. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the the strong, and God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. All right, take a seat. That was good. That was, good. That was a good start. Take a seat. I love that last line, to bring to nothing things that are. And before that, it says, even things that are not. That's such an interesting uh, thought 
that God gives us through the Apostle Paul. So I mentioned this a few weeks ago. God's economy, this is my term, is different. His way of doing things is different. He is always and will always see things in our world differently. That's just the way God is. Paul writes, it is, it's as if the world is foolish. And that's ultimately true. Ultimately, we are foolish. All right? That's what the Bible tells us. All right? God's scales are different than what you and I see. His ways of doing things are different. And sometimes we can think they were upside down or they're backwards or they're, uh, he started at the end before the beginning. But it, that, it, God just does things in a totally different way. He offers justice and righteousness. Those are his concerns. He'll use what we would see as foolish to shame the wise. Isn't that such an encouragement? Sometimes I feel like a fool, so I feel like I'm on God's, God's plan, so that's, that's good. But God chooses what is weak in our eyes to shame what we see as strong. What we see as low, what we'd walk past without regard, the Lord sees and chooses. There's this uh, song that I grew up listening to, and the title of the song was King of Fools. And I never understood it until I was older, but the chorus says, I, uh, something along the lines of, I, I used to know it off by heart, and I can't remember it now, but something along the lines of, uh, I'll live for you, I want to be the king of fools. And that's the truth, because God loves the foolish, or right? he loves the things that this world calls foolish. And when we love God, when we serve him, when we serve him with all of our heart, the world sometimes can see that as a fool, us being foolish with ourselves, foolish with our time, all right, foolish with our resources. So let's turn to what the prophet Samuel outlines uh, in the beginning of Saul's journey. Uh, I can't help but think of him at the beginning, I can't help but think of Saul at the beginning of his reign as the chosen one of God to lead his nation. That's who Saul was. Uh, so let's read a few scriptures together, and I want you to take note of a, th a few things here. But I want you to remember this before we begin. You see, our hearts matter. Our hearts matter, and they always will. What's going on in your heart has always mattered, will always matter. That's why it's so important. You and I can say that we want uh, the Lord to do something, but the Lord Jesus always sees what's happening on the inside. No matter what we say, he can see what's happening on the inside of our hearts. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And I'm going to read it to you. You can just stay in your seats. Uh, it says this, And he had a son whose name was Saul. This is 1 Samuel 9, verse 2. A handsome young man, that's who Saul was, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Now that's a statement. That's a lot of people. All right? That's a lot of people, all right? From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Man, a good-looking fellow. I, yeah, it was really interesting. All right, let's, we'll just leave it at that. From the beginning, we see that God chose Saul based on... The outside appearance. Now, remember, God was giving what the nation of Israel wanted. They wanted a king, so that's the context here. But God chose Saul based on the outside. Uh, verse 1 notes how Saul wasn't a skilled shepherd. He had lost his flock, which is interesting because every other person up to that time that God had chosen to lead his people were skilled shepherds. So Saul was the first one that wasn't a skilled shepherd. But God knew this, he knew this, yet he still appointed Saul as king. You see, our hearts matter. When our house and affairs aren't in order, this speaks to the potential chaos that is going on within ourselves. 
Our hearts matter. What's going on behind the scenes, it matters. So now let's fast forward in this journey to where God is uh, uh, speaking to Samuel about Saul, the king to come. So this is what it says, 1 Samuel 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, verse 16, tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be the prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Then Samuel saw Saul. The Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Now I love that word in the last sentence. He it is who will restrain my <laughs> my people. Okay, interesting. The word restrain sticks out because of this. It's for a reason. This is the only instance in Scripture God uses this word, which means to rule over something or people or a group of people. And he uses it in this way to talk about Saul against his own people. So this is what one commentator noted. God's words to Samuel regarding Saul in verse 17 are filled with irony. The Hebrew verb uh, S, I don't even know how to say that. SR translated here as govern can equally well mean restrain, hold back, and hinder, or even imprison. The core meaning is to restrain or constrict. So God's plan was that Saul would constrain or restrict uh, Saul over God's people, and that's really interesting. So what we learn uh, from the, these texts are these things. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's where he came from. He was handsome, good appearance to the eye. So he came from a good place. He had good appearance uh, to our eyes. There was no one in all of Israel more handsome than him. We've already talked about that. He was tall. Nobody came past his shoulders. Uh, Saul uh, was handpicked by the Lord for the task to lead Israel. In Saul's defense, I suppose he never chose any of this. Saul didn't ask for any of this. He didn't choose any of it. But it's, it has, it's as if God set up the nation of Israel from the beginning by knowing that what was best for them, that they needed to experience a king like Saul before they could experience a king like David. Uh, here's a quote I came across this week I wanted to read to you today. By employing the verb here, the writer was suggesting that the Lord had determined to use Saul's career as a means of punishing the nation. Saul would literally fulfill the various meanings of this verb. Even as he governed Israel, his policies and behavior would hinder the welfare of the nation and act as a sort of barrier separating Israel from God's best for them. Man, can you believe it? So I was reading about, I have a little funny story here. I was reading about silly, unworthy kings this week, and I came across this story. This story is of King James I. So I'm hoping not to offend anyone as I read this, but hey, don't shoot the messenger. I can show you the book I found in it. All right. He was, uh, this is about King James I. He was a habitual drunkard and rumored to be addicted to other vices which could not be mentioned in public. Whoa, this is getting good. Okay. As king of England, he married off his children like pawns to suit his foreign policy. He drained the royal treasury to meet the cost of his extravagancies in wine and women. Uh, unkingly, in almost every respect, he was described thus by J.R. Green uh, as this. His big head, his slobbering tongue, his quilted clothes, his rickety legs, his goggle eyes stood out as the grotesque contrast with all that men recalled of Henry and Elizabeth in his gable. His, this is an old story, just so you know. His want of personal dignity, his coarse 
his coarse buffoonery, his drunkenness, his pedantry, his contemptible cowardice. Yet God in, I love this, yet God in overruling providence used this man to assemble scholars and push through the authorized translation of the Bible in 1611. The most influential Bible of all times, his name, King James. (laughs) Oh, man, next time you get on your high horse about the Bible, whoa, watch out. Okay, here we go. What the enemy uses for evil. Isn't it amazing how God can use the worst people to do his will? I love how God uses people. They don't even know it sometimes. He's just using them to do whatever he wants to do. Okay, I love that so much. All right. What the enemy intends for evil, only the Lord Jesus can turn into good. That's the truth. As we move forward in 1 Samuel into chapter 13, we see that King Saul is allowing his heart for his own desires to rise above what God is speaking to him. He's he's trying to control the situation. He's trying to do his own military actions, make his own decisions. He's not leaning on the wisdom of God. He's leaning on his own wisdom, his own understanding. He's interested in his own ambitions to become greater. So this is from 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, whenever a prophet comes after you in the Old Testament, watch out. Here we go. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul had it in his hand. He was set up. It was, it was, oh, it was, it was signed, sealed, and delivered. It was done. All right? But he wasn't after God's own heart. Just like the nation of Israel, God gives Saul every chance he could to succeed. I'm amazed at how many chances God gives his people to succeed. The same is true for us today. He gives us every chance and opportunity to succeed. The prophet Samuel even notes, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. It was a promise forever it would have been accomplished. Also, I find it interesting how Samuel shares with Saul that God has already found a man after his own heart. (laughs) I can imagine Saul just getting steamed up. What? He found what? All right. The Lord does not wait to find the person that will serve and obey his commandments. We have this weird view of God sometimes where we think, oh, he'll just be patient until I come around. Yes, he's patient, but he's ready to use someone. He's ready to put someone in a position to be used because their heart matters. Their heart is in the right place, waiting for God to use them. What a reminder to all of us to be diligent in doing what God is saying to us. Every part of our life, don't relent in what God has challenged you to do. God has challenged us to do something in every of our life. We need to do it. You see, dream big and follow the plan God gives you for your dreams. That's what he would ask of us to do. So finally, we find ourselves at the conclusion of this series of events uh, just for today, and we'll come back to it another time. But 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 to 23 says this. This is one of my favorite uh, uh, passages of Scripture that just kind of outline what God is after when he thinks of us. Now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. I, so interesting. 
and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Isn't it interesting that Saul had people around him that knew what God was doing, yet Saul still had trouble seeing what has happened. Verse 16, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, and when, which is a stringed instrument, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is the sheep. There's so much in this passage, we're only going to hit on one or two things today. Oh, I'm just like bursting. All right. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Verse 21, And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. For me, this last, uh, last verse is why we have music in churches. It's the only reason, all right? Some people, why do you have music in church? I'm just like, because of that. That's why, because God's spirit does something. When music is played, I can't explain it. If, like, come on. Why do you think the world loves music so much? Because God uses it to bring glory to himself. That's why. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here we go. That, that's not this message. Okay. This passage obviously directs to the skilled hands of David and the anointing that God had put on him. All right. So there are also a few other things that we can take note of. So what does it mean after, uh, to be after God's own heart? What does that actually mean for us? So I got, I think it's four points here we're going to uh, end off with and conclude this message. Here's the first one. David was skillful at his craft. All right? David was skillful at his craft. For anyone that's ever accomplished being skilled at something, you must hone your craft so that when uh, the day comes you are prepared to use it, you can. Uh, I entered ministry to be a worship leader. That's why I got into, that's why I became a pastor. People would say to me when I was like 19, what do you call it? Like they would grab, I remember one lady grabbing me in the kitchen of the church I grew up in. She was like, oh, you know, what are you called to do? And I was like scared to death. I'm like, I don't know. But here's the truth. I entered ministry to be a, a worship leader. That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to lead worship. If I had one goal, that was it. That was my only goal. Uh, as I began uh, my, my ministry life, so to speak, uh, the pastor I had when I was growing up, he told me uh, uh, very clearly one day, he gave me this one message. I'll never forget it, and I can still see him saying it today. He said, you have to learn how to preach. And I was thinking, man, come on. I'm supposed to be a worship leader. That's not what you do when you're worship leading. Well, here we are, 11 or 12 years later, and I had to learn how to preach, all right? And I'm a, little, I'm a little better than I was then, but I'm still working on it. You know, I think of hockey players. I've heard the hardest, uh, I, in my life, I've had the hardest time when playing hockey to make a saucer pass, when the puck just gets lifted up over the, 
the stick of the player on the ice just a little bit to hop over, jump over. And uh, the truth is, is that uh, I love watching professional players use the puck because it shows with the hard work that they put in just to whip that thing down the ice and jump over some sticks and some people. It's really awesome. And, uh, but that just shows the hard work that they've put in to achieve their goals. All right? That's the hard work. Similarly, David needed to be skillful at his craft. He needed to be skillful at it, and he was. So that was the first point. Second one here, we're going to go a little quicker. David had valor. He was strong. He was brave. He was a warrior. Uh, he had cur courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. That was David. Uh, man, there's so many stories of David. We're not going to get into them, but he had valor. Here's the third one. David was a man of war. The, the second and third one are kind of connected. But David was a man of war. Obviously, this is a continuation of the thought of valor. David was not to be mistaken. You see, David didn't have the uh, outward appearance that Saul did, but he was still a mighty warrior. He had the presence of a warrior. When he was before the king and among his peers, people knew what he was about, what he was for. Here's, a, here's a, the uh, fourth one I just wanted to share. David was prudent in speech, this one I love. David used words wisely. We see this same characteristic in Jesus. His words could be harsh or cut straight to the heart, but of course they were always used with wisdom. In fact, Jesus would wait to speak while those around him would ridicule him and challenge his theology. Jesus would still wait and then set the tone for what the Spirit of God would speak through him. You ever notice that about Jesus? When he spoke, it wasn't like he was just quick on the tongue. I'm not, my t I'm not quick with the tongue. If I get in an argument with someone, I'm going to lose. They're just going to yammer all over me, and I'm just going to have to stand there and listen. But the truth is, is that Jesus, he was always slow to speak. He never spoke quickly. If he spoke harshly, he had a, re a reason to do it. He had an emphasis in mind to do it. I believe this can also be true of us. God, when we speak, would you put wisdom on our lips? Sometimes I've been in rooms of uh, people I felt overwhelmed because of the types of people in the room, and I have to pray, God, would you put wisdom on my lips? That's a bit of a selfish prayer, so I don't look like an idiot, but sometimes it's just like, God, would you speak through me to these people? All right? The same is true for us. Here's another one. David was a man of good presence. I find this one so interesting. Uh, theologians, I was reading, they have uh, taken this uh, different directions, uh, this, this, this term that's spoken. From what I read, I think many people took this as mostly a military meaning that David was strong and fit for battle. He was of good presence in battle. But I love the term, a man of good presence. Have you ever uh, seen someone walk into a room and suddenly the atmosphere shifts in a good way? It shifts in the room. Just by their mere presence, the atmosphere changes in the room. Oh God, would we become atmosphere shifters in the spaces that we enter, that when we go into the grocery store, the atmosphere changes. When we walk into the mall, that the atmosphere changes. When we walk into the community center in the rink, that the atmosphere changes in that place. When we walk into the schools, that the atmosphere would change around us. That's what I believe God's saying here. You see, our hearts matter. Our hearts matter. So today we've taken two uh, famous kings from the Old Testament, that Old Testament and begun to compare them against one another.
uh, for our purposes, purposes, I obviously want us to align ourselves with how Scripture describes David in this case. Not only was he a man after God's own heart, but he was so much more. He was so much more. And uh, there, here's just the list of things we just talked about real quick, quickly. I'll just review them. David was skillful at his craft. David had valor. David was a man of war. David was prudent in speech. David was a man of good presence. And finally, the Lord was with him. That's how the Bible describes it. So once again, uh, we find ourselves back where we started this morning uh, in reference to 1 Corinthians. You see, David was the least likely of Jesse's sons to be king. God delights to use what is foolish, weak, low, and despised, and even things that are not, to glorify himself and do his work. You see, God's plan is above and further ahead than what any of us know. What we do know is that he is drawing mankind to himself in these last days. God is calling us to come closer to him. God is calling us to love those around us, to be of good spirit, of good presence, of good witness to those around us. 